Boom boom boom, let me hear you say boku boku. Say boom boom boom, let me hear you say. Bo- oh, who's there? Is is that you, dear listeners? <gasps> I did not see you there. I was just having a little sing song, a little party. You must be back for some more of the boggle thief. Where did we get to? Ah, oh, yes, chapter seven. Well, I do aim to please, so let's get on with it. Chapter seven. It's called Let's Play Cricket. Just as the teams were about to walk out to start play, Latham Lashington waved his hand to beckon Alex over to him. Abington, young whippersnapper, be a splendid chap and take the golden medallion into the house and put it on my desk. Right next to the trophy will be fine. Here's the key. My study is second on the left. Chippy chops. OK, Mr Lashington, will do, said Alex obediently, and off he sped, running into the house where he quickly found the locked study door. The key went click as it unlocked and in he went. Alex flicked the coin casually onto the desk and ran out slamming the door behind him. As he flew out of the front of the old manor house, he skidded on the gravel driveway, spun on his heels and ran back towards the house. Nearly forgot the key, he muttered to himself, as he almost ran into Gina Dismal coming out of the front door. Alex didn't stop, ignoring Gina calling him some rude names as he passed and ran back to the study, quickly locking the door and running back outside, tossing the key up for Lathan Lashington to catch as Alex ran onto the field. On the edge of the boundary, Freddie Flinders downed a pint of cider and wandered out to bat with Mr English, the French teacher. Remember the rules, said Vic the priest loudly. It's 20 overs a side and every player must bowl at least one over each. Let's play, boomed Robbie Dobbins. And with that, Liza tossed the ball to Lola. You're up first, Sister Blister. Lola, coming in off a long run, built up a head of steam before launching a low-slung missile towards the stumps of Mr English. He played and missed, and the ball whizzed past the stumps by a whisker going through to Big Ed, the wicketkeeper, who bent down to his right to take a neat catch. Mr English fared little better with the next ball, just managing to get his head out of the way of a well-placed bouncer. For the third ball, the now trembling teacher closed his eyes and stuck out his bat, and with a huge slice of luck, the ball flew off the edge and ran down to the boundary for four runs. Aha! Fetch a the ball! exclaimed Mr English, smiling. The smile didn't last long, though, as the next missile from Lola was fast and straight, sending the stumps splattering everywhere. Au revoir, Mr Resister, waved Lola cheekily. Next in was George Dismal, who managed to defend the next two balls to see out the rest of the over. Lola tossed the ball to Jonesy, who was next up to bowl. Well, Jonesy was as useless as a wet lettuce in a dry tomato competition. He served up pies, and not real ones either, metaphorical pies, which is cricket language for terrible balls that are easy to hit. He bowled meat pies, pork pies, blackberry and slug pies, you named it, he bowled it. Well, Freddie Flinders liked pies. He was hungry and wanted to eat one. He notched up 30 runs, hitting five sixes in a row. But then he went and hit the sixth ball straight up in the air, which Big Ed snaffled behind the stumps. I did that on purpose, whispered Freddy whilst winking at Big Ed. My tinkles needs a wee-wee, my tummy needs a steak and kidney pie. Latham Lashington strode into bat at the non-striker's end. George Dismal was facing. Jenny came on to bowl and George swung and missed the first ball, but Latham called him through for a run. Latham treated his first two balls with caution before hitting a lovely drive for four runs and then getting a lucky edge for four more. Latham was loving the attention and being in the spotlight. It was the last ball of the over and Latham wanted to get to the other end to keep the strike for the next over. He neatly hit the ball into the outfield between two fielders, but it was Alex who reacted the quickest and came running towards the ball fast. 
and in one motion, and without seemingly reducing his speed, he bent low and scooped the ball up with his one hand and launched it towards the stumps. The ball flew true and fast and crashed into the middle stump, sending the bells flying and leaving George Dismal stranded in the middle of the pitch. He had been run out. George looked furious, and as he strode off the pitch, mumbling under his breath, Alex made a little quack sound. George was out for zero, a duck as it's called in cricket, and Alex had given him a cheeky little quack to wind him up. He immediately regretted it as George looked like he was about to come over and smack him with his bat, but Gina saw the danger and blocked his path and ushered him off the pitch. Quack, said Alex bravely, or was it stupidly once more? Daddio was next in and Alex made sure he was on to bowl. Alex bowled nicely with accuracy and pace. He was sure he was going to get Daddio out and oh how he would enjoy gloating about that but Daddio patiently blocked the first three balls before nipping a quick single. Alex finished his over against Latham Lashington, but was wicketless. That was a bit of an anti-climax, Alex thought. The next ten overs passed without any more wickets, with Latham Lashington and Daddio playing nicely and scoring at a steady rate. Latham then started to get impatient and was caught by Stan the Miracle Milkman at the boundary edge. Stan was chatting to someone in the crowd about last night's TV. He'd been watching a programme about a shark-eating squirrel called Nigel. Was it a squirrel-eating shark? And he didn't even see the ball coming towards him. As he heard some voices behind him call his name, he twisted around to see what was going on and the ball neatly landed in his baggy trouser pocket, enabling him to pick it out with ease. Caught out? Unbelievable! cried Lathan, stomping off the pitch incredulous. Not unbelievable, a miracle! Things like that only ever seem to happen to Stan. Gina Dismal was in next and Stan thought he would try his luck at bowling. Stan had never played cricket before and didn't know how to bowl, but copied what he'd seen the others doing and only went and clean bowled Gina first ball. Another duck. The Dismals were absolutely quackers today, said Alex, laughing as Gina sulked off. Even Granny Duck was quacking on the sidelines. She loved anything to do with ducks. With only a few overs left, Daddio was still batting. He had moved on to 39 and then hit Larry Basher for two sixes to take him to 51. He raised his back to acknowledge the round of applause from the crowd. Now that's a miracle, thought Alex, shaking his head. I'm not going to hear the end of this. Next ball, however, Daddio was gone. Batman had sent down a dolly drop and Daddio went to smash it out of the ground, but was so eager he hit it straight up into the air and Jenny took a simple catch. Bobby Sox then came in and swung his bat like he was playing baseball. Home run! He would shout as he hit two sixes with his first two balls and then he was clean bowled by the third. You're out of here, said Big Ed in his best American accent, which sounded more like he was from Jamaica. The pub landlords Nicky Knuckles from the Duck and Cover and Giles Smiles from the Golden Piranha didn't last long. A couple of lucky slogs and they both nicked the ball behind it, Big Ed. So that left Houdini, the greasy slimeball magician, and Auntie G. Dini wasn't very sporting, doing all he could to put off the bowlers, like pulling a flower from behind his ear, a puff of smoke from his pads and a badger from his cricket hat. The crowd were loving it, but Kenji Okazaki wasn't impressed. The rivalry between Houdini and the great Mahu had been long and unfriendly. This was Kenji's chance to get one over him for his dad. He's mine, he muttered as Liza tossed him the ball. Ha! said Houdini. I hope your cricket is better than your old man's magic show, he chortled, laughing at his own joke. Kenji ran in and fired off a medium-paced ball straight towards the stumps. Houdini defended with ease. Clearly not! Below average must run in the family, sneered Deanie. Kenji felt his face go red and a bead of sweat formed on his brow. He was feeling angry and had never been good at controlling his temper. Strange things would happen when he lost his temper, but he channelled it now. Magic ball, he whispered to himself. Magic ball, magic ball, magic ball, he repeated as he ran in. And a magic ball it was. Deanie lost sight of it. 
and wafted it thin air as the ball smashed into his stumps. He was out, and Kenji glared at him as he walked off as if to say, How do you like that trick, you stinky rubbish magic man? Joe looked on from the boundary of interest. He was quite certain that he had witnessed something extraordinary that no one else seemed to have picked up. As the residents of the Boggles watched on whilst eating their cucumber pineapple and honey sandwiches and peanut butter doughnuts, they were none the wiser. Joe was quite sure that Kenji had somehow managed to make the ball vanish, or at least to go invisible momentarily in mid-flight. That was something that interested Joe a lot. Joe had plans, and invisibility could be useful, and he quickly scribbled something in his notebook. As Hugh Deeney trudged off, Robbie Dobbins removed the bales to signal the end of the innings, and they all walked off for a coffee and a crumpet or some squash and a squid. 162 was the target to win. It was a challenge, but doable. Here's a factoid for you listeners. It's believed that getting out for zero in cricket is called a duck because the shape of the number zero is similar in shape to a duck egg. If a batsman gets out first ball, this is known as a golden duck. Quack, quack. Chapter 8. The Run Chase As they did every year, the Basher brothers opened the innings and got the team off to a good start, putting on 50 runs between them before they both got out quickly to Freddie Flinders. That meant Lola and Liza were in, and they too began well before Liza edged one to Houdini, who was wicket-keeping. He caught the ball, and when he threw it in the air to celebrate, a silk scarf and some doves flew out of his sleeve. The crowd whooped and hollered, and Houdini gave a little bow, the big show-off. Alex was next, and George Dismal saw his chance for revenge. He took the ball and came steaming in, determined to get Alex out. He was fast, and the first ball flew past the outside of Alex's bat. The second was a bouncer, and Alex just about got his head out of the way. I'm going to knock your block off, Abington, George snarled, and the next ball was. It was another bouncer flying towards Alex's head. But Alex had already had one sight, and he didn't need two. He spun on his heels and walloped the ball, pulling it inches from his face for four runs. Well... That just made George angry. He ran in even faster, but the result was the same. This time, Alex rocking back and cutting him before on the other side. The crowd applauded. They were enjoying this. Good cricket all round, roared Robbie Dobbins. The next was the best shot of the lot, with Alex launching the ball straight down the ground for six. The final ball of the over, Alex took a quick single, and as he jogged past George, gave another little quack. George was bright red, like a pumped-up tomato ready to explode. Lola was going well at the other end too, and together the total passed 100 when Auntie G arose from her slumber and got off of her deck chair and it indicated that she wanted a bowl. I'd better be nice, thought Alex. I won't smash the first ball. And he didn't. In fact, he didn't hit it at all. Auntie G tossed the ball up a few times, walked in and let a gentle delivery float up into the air, spinning hypnotically as it went. Alex could see it was going well wide of the stumps and came forward to give it a little nudge, but the ball gripped the surface and shot off at a ferocious angle, picking up pace as it went flying past the outside of Alex's bat and smashing into Alex's stumps. He'd been clean bowled. It was the ball of the century. Auntie G gave out a little squeal of delight. Nanny must be Pops' secret weapon, said Lola, as Alex trudged off in disbelief, and he wasn't the first. Jenny got a lucky too, but soon followed, as did Jonesy. Batman and Kenji were beaten all ends up, George and Gina were waddling around laughing and making duck noises as each bewildered batsman walked off. Once she had delivered her sixth and final ball, Auntie G slowly walked back to her deck chair and immediately fell asleep. Her job was done. Big Ed and Lola managed to put on 30 more runs before Big Ed took one to his head and had to retire hurt. That just left Lola and Stan the Miracle Milkman, and Stan had never played cricket before. He was good at miracles though and he lived a charmed life indeed, edging here, there and everywhere, but the ball never quite managed to land near enough for a fielder to catch. He was a lucky chap indeed. 
It all came down to the last ball of the match. Daddio was bowling to Lola, who needed four runs to win. Keep it tight, Daddio said to himself as he ran up past Stan the Miracle Milkman, who was casually leaning on his bat, humming to himself and counting the birds in the sky. Three pigeons, two crows, one pterodactyl and a partridge in a pear tree. Well, Daddio didn't keep it tight. It was loose. It was a poor ball. It was a pie. Probably a chicken and potato pie. And there to be hit, and hit it Lola did. The ball came screaming straight back towards Daddio and was sure to fly to the boundary to win the match. Robbie Dobbins took evasive action, belly flopping onto the ground with surprising speed, but not much grace, squashing the emergency donut he kept in his jacket pocket. But he needn't have bothered, because something happened, something unexpected, something extraordinary, something miraculous. The ball, travelling at speed, cannoned into the top of Stan's bat, whilst he was still leaning on it, wondering whether he was confusing pterodactyls with blue tits. Well, the ball hit the top corner of the bat and ricocheted directly upwards. It seemed to hang in the sky for an age. Daddio stood there, gobsmacked, watching on in what seemed like slow motion. But he didn't need to move. He just needed to stretch out his arm, and the ball fell gently and obediently into Daddio's hands, as if by magic. Daddio didn't know what he had just done, but he had caught it, and the match was won. Latham Lashington conducted a one-man celebration, running around the field in delight, before he realised he was on his own and looked a little embarrassed. Abington, you little beauty! How on earth did you pull that one off? said Latham excitedly. Well, if it hadn't been for Stan's bat, Daddio suggested, still not really understanding how he'd caught it. It was a blooming miracle, Alex muttered, shaking his head. He couldn't believe he'd lost and that Daddio was the hero of the hour. He was never going to hear the end of this. Trophy presentation, bellowed Latham Lashington. Dismal, run in and get the trophy. It's on my study desk, he said, throwing the key. I know where it is, George said, and off he ran looking smug in victory. Oh no, said Alex, who was now standing next to Jenny. Dad's doing his robot dance in celebration. This is so embarrassing. Next he'll be doing the chicken dance. I can't watch this. Come on, it's funny, Jenny said. And as they walked off the pitch, Alex could hear his dad in the background saying, I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I'm going to have chicken for my dinner. <gasps> cluck, 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 cluck. And Alex knew his dad would now be beating his arms like a chicken. Speaking of chickens, listeners, did you know in 2011, a report estimated there were 19 billion chickens worldwide. That's 12 billion more chickens than people. Wowzers, that is a lot. Cluck, cluck. Now, before it's time to depart once more, I think we can squeeze in one more chapter. How about chapter nine? The Boggle Thief Strikes Again. It's not there, said George Dismal, trying to get his breath. It's gone. What do you mean it's gone, boy? said a visibly agitated Latham Lashington. It was on the middle of my desk in the locked room. It can't have vanished. No one's been in there except me. And Abington, said Gina. I saw him come out there earlier, Mr Lashington, sir. Abington! exclaimed Latham. That's right, it must be you, you little scamp. Where's my trophy? Call the police! Arrest the scoundrel! He must be the boggle thief! On hearing this, the crowd went, <gasps> and someone shouted, Lock him up! Lock him up! Hang on a minute, pleaded Alex. It wasn't me. Could have been dismal, piped up Joe, who had finally stopped scribbling and had put his notebook away. He's just come out from his study. He could have just stolen just now. And let's be honest, it's far more likely to be him or, or his sister. As one, the crowd went, <gasps> and again a chance of, lock him up, lock him up, but this time aimed at George Dismal. And I saw Gina outside the study earlier, where I left it unlocked for a minute, said Alex, and I know for a fact it wasn't me, as I've got an awesome memory, and I can even kick Joe's butt at memory games, and he's a freaking genius. Joe nodded. It's true, he said, although we don't play anymore since the poo face incident, but that's a story for another day. 
And, continue Alex, my elephant-like memory is telling me that I am not the boggle thief and did not steal a silly trophy. Otherwise, I would have remembered it. Hang on! Did you just say that you left my study unlocked? Unlocked! My safe is in there! Shouted Latham Lashington. And then that sentence soaked into his brain, which set a few triggers off, which set some cogs whirring. Then all of a sudden, a thought popped into his mind. What about my safe? And Latham ran off to the study, and as he passed PC Useless stuffing a piece of carrot cake into his chops, he ordered, Arrest those two boys and that girl and work out which one is the boggle thief. Pardon? What did you say? uttered PC Useless, dabbing a bit of buttercream frosting from his top lip and wondering if carrot cake counted as eating vegetables. The boggle thief? Who? What? Where? It's George Dismal, shouted little Harry Basher. Or Alex Zabington, said another year two kid standing next to Harry. George Dismal couldn't take the accusations any longer and grabbed the nearest thing to him, the whack-a-mole mole, called Bernard, and launched it at Harry Basher. Harry ducked and Bernard hit Freddie Flinders on the back, who was busy downing another pint of cider. Who did that? snorted Flinders. You can try and knock me down, but I always get back up again. He slurred as he grabbed a wet sponge from the soap the vicar stall and threw it indiscriminately in the vague direction the mole had come from. Well, the wet sponge hit PC Useless full in the face. George Dismal saw his chance to a runner, but not before chucking a cream pie. And this time he didn't miss, splattering Harry Basher on the left side of his face. Harry wasn't bothered, though. He loved cream pies, and they were even better when you didn't have to pay for them. He wasn't bothered that he had pie all over him. He had always been a messy eater, and a bit of pie in his ear was nothing new. Indeed, he just found a bit of last night's steak dinner in his hair. Yummy. Harry didn't like the cherry on top of the pie, though, so he lobbed it behind him without looking an Oh my word, how he wished he had looked, because as he turned around, he saw that he had landed in the hair of none other than the fearsome Prunella Pinkerton, a.k.a. Pinky Pink. Well, Pinky Pink was famous for having a short temper and screamed at little Harry, Was this you? pointing out her hair. No-no-no-no-no-no, stuttered Harry, telling a teeny-weeny porcupine lie. It came from over there, Harry said, pointing towards Gina Dismal, who was standing next to her dad. Payback time. No more messes with Pinky Pink. Time to dodge battle. And with that, Pinky jumped onto the cake stall and started launching Lemon Drizzle and Rocky Road of the Dismals. Well, things escalated quickly. Boggle was famous for its food fights and this was another one to go down in history. Pinky Pink never needed an opportunity to get involved and nor did Hugh Deeney, who seized the opportunity to chuck pickled onions at the Great Mahoo. The air was filled with food flying here, there and everywhere. Even Auntie G put a pasty down the pants of Mr English. Alex, still in shock at the accusation of being the boggle thief, ran after Lathan Lattington, following him into his study. The trophy was here when I locked the room earlier, I promise, said Alex. I put the medallion next to it, right there, Alex said, pointing at the empty space on the desk. It wasn't there. <gasps> OMG, the medallion has been stolen as well, exclaimed Alex, just as Lola walked in. She gave a little gasp at hearing the news. Well... My safe is in one piece, thank goodness, said Latham, fiddling about with a large painting on the firewall. The trophy can be replaced with a medallion. That is priceless. If you know something about this, young lad, then now is the time to tell me before things get serious. There is no one other than you, me and the Dismals who had access to this room. It was locked at all other times. No way in, no way out. This is a matter for the police. Where is that PC useless? And Latham Lashington quick marched outside to locate the incompetent copper. It wasn't me, Lola, pleaded Alex. I believe you, said Lola, but I don't think it was George either. He didn't have enough time and it'd be stupid even by his standards. But it can't be anyone else, said Alex. The room was locked the whole time, like your pop says. No way in, no way out. That's not strictly true, said Lola. Watch this. 
Lola went over to her father's bookcase, knelt down to the bottom shelf and pulled out a thick red book five in from the end. There was a noticeable click and Lola quickly stepped back before another click and the right side of the bookshelf moved. It was ajar. A door had revealed itself and behind the door was a secret passageway. Whoa, said Alex. That is super cool. A secret door? Where does it lead? I don't know, said Lola. I've only ever seen Pops open it once before, but I think he's not the only one who knows about it and it's time we found out where it went. And I'm afraid, dear listeners, that that is it once more for another episode. I, for one, want to know where that passageway leads. It could be somewhere super awesome. But, my friends, you'll have to wait till next time. But before you go, I do have a joke for you. It's not a very good one, but it's still a joke. Why is money called dough? Because we all need it. Need it, get it? When you make bread, you have to hit it with your knuckles. That's called kneading it. So because you need it, get it? What do you mean you don't like it? Oh, you have no taste in good jokes. Until next time, listeners. See you later, alligators.